1: More than this to life? Are you looking for more joy, freedom, and purpose in your life? This is Living a Courageous, Authentic Life with your host, Jennifer Monahan. Many of us may be focused on getting ahead and achieving our goals, but we may soon realize that something is missing. Jennifer was there, and now she's here to help you reclaim your personal power, find joy, and realize your full potential. Now, please welcome the host of Living a Courageously Authentic Life. Jennifer Monahan
2: welcome everyone you're listening to living a courageously authentic life we're coming to you live from BBM global network and tune in radio I'm your host Jennifer Monahan today we're going to be talking about the power of our stories and how our stories can be used to not only heal ourselves but also others Uh, But before we jump into that, I did want to share one thing with you all. Um, This is my fourth show, and I know I've talked quite a bit about the fact that I live a fairly nomadic life, uh, and that's part of my authentic life and my courageous life. The first show I broadcast from San Francisco. The second one was from Mountain View, California last week i was in la and today i'm actually broadcasting live from guatemala i'm up in the jungle and um, just a heads up if you hear monkeys in the background that's because i'm in the middle of the jungle so so our stories stories have been used for years millennia, to teach history and lessons to share values and culture to explain the unexplainable or to serve as a cautionary tale. They're part of the fabric of every single culture that we have in the world. And they can fire our imagination and help us to relate to one another or to a different culture, even. Each one of us has a story. We may not think that we do, but the truth is that each one of us has a completely unique life. While we may share some experiences with others, Uh, no one has the same mix of experiences that we have and no one has the perspective that we have. I don't know if you've ever played that memory game where you, you look at a scene, um, whether it's a picture or things around you and then you and other people share what you saw, it's very rare for two people to see the exact same thing. In fact, you may disagree about whether or not the person's sh- shirt was blue or green or if there were five trees or two trees in the scene that you're looking at. Um, the reality is our own perspective defines what we see, how we react and how we we experience our lives and, and then how we share what we've seen and and experiences as part of our stories. Our stories define us. They make us who we are as we have each experience in our life. That experience shapes and molds us. Our stories can also inspire others and can lead us to places that we would never have imagined that we could go to. As I mentioned before, our stories can also help us heal. As we share our story, as we are heard and validated and held, maybe not physically held, but space held open for us to share our stories, to release what we need to release, we are beginning or continuing our healing process. Now, part of that also is releasing, right? That's the important part of the healing of our stories. If we continue to hold on to our stories and come from a point of view of being a victim or continually being hurt by the story, instead of releasing the story around that experience and moving forward, our stories won't help us heal. When we are actually listening to another person's story, we can put ourselves into that story. We can imagine what we would do, what we would feel, how we would work to create the same or even a different ending um, and share that perspective with the other person to help them as they move through their process. So I believe we have a caller on the line. Hello?
3: Yeah. Am I on? Hi. You are. Hi. Jennifer is Charlene.
2: Hi, Charlene. How are you?
3: I'm good, my love, my friend. Um, I just, couldn't wait because this is such a powerful topic and it is so well, near to my heart. Um, there are so many professionals now who are speaking out about the power of telling our stories in order to heal. And you've yeah. already touched on so many powerful points that each of us has an individual story and that mm-hmm. our perspective about the story is what matters, how we Yes. Respond to situations and to our lives. And just actually this morning, uh, I was pondering the end of my memoir. My memoir is called My Impossible Life. Mm-hmm. I've been writing it for 50 mm-hmm. years. I just want to say that because I, I know a lot of memoir writers get frustrated by how long it take, takes to write a memoir, but my memoir took, has taken 50 years. And the reason is that the first time I told the story and wrote it down for myself, I was 17. I had just spent two days with um, three days with two armed robbers, and they had raped and Mm -hmm. tortured me. And of Mm -hmm. course, I was in the natural state of PTSD, sort of somewhere between totally manic and completely depressed. And so the unwinding of that and the healing process through my life is what I have really chosen to focus on in this book because that's what really matters and mattered all the way through. So just this morning, uh, and just a little bit an hour ago, actually, I was thinking to myself, culturally, I'm supposed Mm -hmm. to see myself as a victim. Culturally. Yes. And I I say this with great respect for anyone who's at a different and more tender stage of their healing. I consider myself quite a tough old bird at this point. So wherever (laughs) you are, please know that my heart is with you, and there's no way you're doing this the wrong way. I'm just trying to suggest that from where I am, I, I think I've had it wrong. I think that the point is that I'm a healer and that every yes. one of the men in my life, and there have been many of them who have tried but who have lied or betrayed or hurt me or you know, any of the things that happened to us, and that has been my puddle. Everyone has a puddle that they can't quite figure out. They can't quite get it going, and mine has been around men, um, partnerships with men. And, and they're good men. It's not that they didn't. It's just that they can't seem to pull it together, uh, you know, and be honest and be and not betray mm-hmm. and not lie. Mm-hmm. And so I've spent my life thinking, oh, there must be something wrong with me. I'm um, attracting the wrong kind of guy. I have to fix my vibration. I have to go in and do more deep work. And I just went to this, like, really liberating to just go, you know what? I don't think that's true. I think I'm just a I'm a healer. And any man who comes across my path is going to have to pull up his socks or he's out. And in out, what I mean is I'm pretty abrupt about that. And when they go, they never leave. They want to come back. They want to fix it. So Mm -hmm. I have that Mm -hmm. perspective now. And I will tell you that that has a lot of reverberations for me. I think there's so many women and men and men. We have to always add Mm -hmm. that and men. But mostly women are the ones who get raped and tortured and hurt and cut up and all of those horrible things. And so those of us who have... This is an alternative to what the culture offers us in telling our story.
2: Yes, yes, it can be a point of empowerment. Because the reality is, Charlene, you are a survivor. Any person yeah, who way has more, gone way through. More, way
3: more. <laughs> With all due respect for that word, I, I'm a thriver. I'm victorious. I have an amazing life. I mean, truly, honestly, when I look yes. at it, if I was standing outside my life, I would be envious of me. <laughs>
2: Uh, Charlene, that's beautiful, right? Uh, absolutely beautiful, yeah. because I think yeah. it's real easy for us when we go through something that's traumatic and difficult, it's real easy for us to just kind of stay stuck in it. And, and you're absolutely right. There's a process. There's a, the, the post-traumatic stress stage. There's the denial or grief stages or the anger stages, right? And we have to go through that. We can't ignore it. Um, but at some point... We have to release it and recognize what I say is the gift. Where is the gift in this? And for (laughs) you, it sounds like you learned about an inner strength that you didn't even maybe know that you had. And then that just blossomed into this healer that you described. We are going to take a real quick break. Charlene, can you stay for another minute or two?
3: I, I would love to, Jennifer. Thank you.
2: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue talking about inspiring stories. And if you have one you want to share, give us a call at 866-451-1451.
0: Stay tuned. For over 50 years, Evelyn Stapula has been a loving advocate for people with disabilities throughout the state of Pennsylvania. President and founder of Big Heart Bridges, her organization actively campaigns for legislation and support of civil liberties that meet the needs of disabled individuals with housing, transportation, and employment. Ms. Stapula has joined forces with a variety of esteemed organizations that advocate for the disabled. She serves on the board of the United Cerebral Palsy of Pittsburgh and the Governor's Cabinet and Advisory Committee for People with disabilities, and she is a consultant for the Pennsylvania Governor's Conference for Women. Her many efforts have led to the implementation of a transportation program for the disabled with the Access Paratransit System of Allegheny County. Evelyn Stipoulis drives daily to serve the interests of the disabled, to protect their freedoms, and enable them to live normal public lifestyles. To learn more, please call 412-491-2605 or email Evelyn at ers92645 at verizon.net.
2: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jennifer Monahan, and we're coming to you live from BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio, you are listening to Living a Courageously Authentic Life. And today we're talking about the power of our stories, and Charlene had called in partway through the last segment and was sharing her story. And and there were some really, uh, I think, key lessons from Charlene's story that I wanted to highlight before we have Charlene come back in, she wanted to share a couple more things. but. First and foremost is this idea of, you know, how our lives will include hardships. They will include trauma. And and those hardships and trauma will be on some spectrum, right, from stubbing our toe to, to being a victim of a violent crime and anywhere in between, um, losing a loved one, et cetera. But what I've found and what Charlene articulated before the break is for every hardship there is also a gift. There's a lesson, there's an insight about ourselves, there's a benefit. That hardship might actually put us on a completely different path than we ever would have considered. And then yet when we look back we say oh thank goodness for that hardship because I would never have ended up where I am today. gift that we get from our hardship and our experiences is, is also part of our stories. Um, sometimes we focus on the hardship and we lose sight of the gift, and Charlene made an excellent point about how we have to look for the gift. We have to find the gift, and really when we find the gift, that's when we complete the story. And when we complete the story, that's when we can share our stories and share the power that they have. Um, We can look at our life, see our accomplishments, remind ourselves of the lessons we've learned. We can share our lessons with others so that they can take away, uh, those people can take away from those lessons and apply them to their life as applicable. So Charlene, welcome back. You had mentioned um, during the break that you had another point you wanted to make about your story.
3: I did, and that is that in the middle of those three days, first of all, I'd had dreams as a child that told me this was going to happen, not in any detail, but in Mm -hmm. enough outline that in the middle of those three days, I went, oh yeah, oh yeah, I get it, that's right, and if I follow what the dream said. So I've been studying my dreams my whole life, and so that was part of the gift that was given to me, even in the midst of this horror. And the other Mm -hmm. thing was that the angels, uh, that I think had been around for a long time, because life had been a bit difficult even before this uh, three-day experience, But there was an angel that I saw, and it was a very Christian angel, but it was definitely an angel. And Mm. since that time, Mm. I have known that there are angels around me, and they have been very articulate and very communicative. And what I also know is that they are here for everyone. And you want to call them angels or space beings or the Abraham group of teachers, or I don't really mind whatever name people give to higher consciousness, I just mm-hmm. want to make the point that this non-physical consciousness, however we call it, is there for all of us and is absolutely aware of our needs on a very physical level. We need for money, need for shelter, need for love, need for affection, all those things. And yet will keep us from expressing our our darker sides, our our less vibrationally high sides, and will help us to stay balanced. And so I really hope that people make the efforts to try to find those um, particular energies that are there for you in whatever way you find them.
2: Mm, that is a beautiful part of your story, Charlene. And, and I think one that is so reassuring to people, knowing that no matter what we're going through, even if it is something as horrific as those three days of your life, that we're being held and we're being protected by by our angels, by our guides, by spirit beings that are coming from a place of pure love. Um, I think I I mentioned to you... Can I make a point here?
3: here? Sure. And, and Jennifer, thank you, but I just want to make one quick point here because it's so important to me that anyone who has lost someone to such an extraordinarily horrific tragedy as the one I'm talking about, that doesn't mean the angels weren't there. It means the angels Mm -hmm. were there with your loved one. Your loved one was never alone and by themselves and in that terrible place. That's not what happens. And so it isn't about, oh, the angel was there for me and I survived and all of that. It's about the angels are there no matter who and no matter the outcome. The outcome is something I have no idea why. I have mm-hmm. no idea why the outcomes occur the way they do. But I just wanted to really say that. So I'm sorry to jump in and cut you off, but I, I feel no. like that's so important for anyone who's suffering in that way that I can't even imagine.
2: I, I think that's a really important point point to make, Charlene, is that regardless of who we are or where we are, the situation we're in, we are being held by these guides, by these angels. I don't know if you remember, gosh, it was maybe 25 or 30 years ago, a series of books came out, and I can't even remember who the author is. But the series of books was about people who had what were called angelic encounters. They were things where they just knew there was no way... um, our physical world could orchestrate different things, could make different things happen. Uh, so people were in situations where they were in trouble and a stranger showed up, but yet that stranger nobody else saw or things like that. Yeah. And he came away knowing that it was an angel. And I think I mentioned to you, I know at the beginning of my my book, The Strip Will Change Your Life, uh, I start off the book where, I'm walking across the street and a man in a minivan hits me at 25 miles an hour. And uh, he drove for about half a block before he stopped. Uh, And I was kind of clinging onto the the hood of the minivan. And then when he stopped, I lost my grip and I fell. And for those of you who don't know me, um, I wear glasses. Sometimes I have contact lenses in, but on this particular day, I had my glasses on. And as I was falling... um, uh, two things happened. One, I said, Oh, please, God, don't let my glasses break because I was terrified that the glass would go into my eyes and, and harm my, my vision. And as soon as I had that thought, my glasses flew off my face, they folded themselves up and they landed in front of me like I had placed them on the nightstand, you know, before going to bed, they were just right there and perfectly fine. And the other thing is I physically felt hands holding me. Now, there was no physical human being there, obviously, but something—we can call it an angel, we can call it a guide—was holding me and really minimizing the impact of my fall as I hit the pavement. So, um, I, I firmly believe in them.
3: Yes, yes, and and it is—it is that um, sort of peculiar peculiarity about being alive that if you've never seen it or experienced it, it's a lot easier to be cynical or keep your mind closed, which makes it harder for you to actually have the experience. But on the other hand, I believe millions and millions and millions, maybe the billions of people have had experiences with angels, but we don't talk about it in our culture. Even yes, people and that's
2: a, speak in terms
3: of angels. Yeah,
2: That is a really good point. And we'll pick that up uh, when we come back. Uh, if you have an inspiring story, feel free to call in 866-451-1451. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, stay tuned
0: global glory that's the work of dr marina McLean, coo of global glory whose calling is to serve god a first-generation british-born londoner of jamaican descent dr McLean inherited the hunger for the word from her father who was a bible teacher growing up her home was filled with missionaries from the caribbean islands and america and she travels the world preaching the gospel She has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology and an Honorary Doctorate of Divinity and Christian Counseling from Friends International Christian University. Dr. McLean is also a songwriter and recording artist, and her songs are written during summits and conferences in the presence of God. She's recorded three worship albums to date and is in ministry for 28 years alongside her husband, Dr. Rennie McLean, who shares her passion. Visit www.globalglory.org or on Facebook at Global glory call eight six six two four four five six seven nine and feel the glory
5: introducing betterhomeandgarden.com that's www.betterhomeandgarden.com with just the letter n in better home and garden betterhomeandgarden.com offers you the highest quality products on the market that are environmentally safe and effective and to make them available to you at the lowest possible prices betterhomeandgarden.com understands that kind of creativity and do-it-yourself attitude Thus, we developed our website, BetterHomeAndGarden.com. BetterHomeAndGarden.com offers you the following products right online. Bath, bedding, collectibles, crafts, sewing and hobby, food and beverage, furniture, home decor, kitchen and dining, lamps and lighting, large appliances, musical instruments, outdoor cooking, patio items, pet supplies, plant and garden, rug and floor coverings, small appliances, travel and luggage, and so much more. Better Home and Garden is an online retailer offering a wide variety of high-quality brand name merchandise at discount prices. Our service is personal and we aim to please. Visit us at www.betterhomeandgarden.com. Make your home your own.
2: Welcome back. I'm your host, Jennifer Monaghan, and we're coming to you live from BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. You're listening to Living a Courageously Authentic Life, and today we're talking about the power of our stories. Uh, We had Charlene on the phone, and she shared how a really horrific event in her life uh, allowed her to realize more insights about herself. Uh, And by sharing that story can hopefully serve as some some hope and peace and tranquility for, for others who are going through something similar. Uh, I wanted to share some other stories with you as well. Um, First off is a cab driver that I met uh, a few years ago in San Francisco. I'll call him Orlando. Um, And his really is a story of courage and determination. Um, I had called for a cab. He was a random cab driver. And uh, he was taking me to my physical therapy. Uh, I was at the very beginning of my physical therapy after the accident and As we were driving, he started to talk to me. Um, Interestingly enough, people tend to talk to me wherever I am. Uh, And I found out that he was from Honduras, and he's been in the United States for about 20 years. Uh, He told me about his childhood. He came from a very poor family in Honduras. And when he was about 10 years old, his family could no longer afford to send him to school. So in Honduras, as well as uh, a number of uh, Central American countries, such as here in Guatemala, uh, public education is not free. Um, depending on which country you're in, you may have to pay for different things. In Honduras, they had to buy the school books and the materials for the classes and the school uniforms, um, and his family could no longer afford to do that. So he was faced with the um, with the reality that he might not be able to continue his education. It so happened that he had an uncle come to visit. Uh, His uncle lived about six hours away by car, and he heard the story of uh, poor Orlando and that he wouldn't be able to go to school, and he suggested to uh, Orlando's family that Orlando come and live with him and that he would provide schooling for him. And so Orlando, at 10 years old, moved away from his mother and father and his siblings uh, to be with his uncle. And for the first couple months, it was great. He went to school. He was learning. He was really excited to be uh, going to school and living with his uncle. And then, unfortunately, his uncle hit on hard times. And he said he could no longer afford to school Orlando. And to make matters worse, he could no longer afford to house and feed Orlando. And so at 10 years old, Orlando was put out on the streets in, in Honduras. While he was at school, he had learned a little bit about the United States and um, from other people as well about the United States, and he decided that he was going to go to the United States. And he began walking. He walked from Honduras to the United States. He would stop and perform odd jobs as needed to earn money for food or other things that he needed, Uh, maybe staying in one location for a month or two months or three months to save up for whatever the next part of his journey was. Uh, He shared with me that at some places he needed to pay money to take a ferry to go over a river, for example. Um, It ended up taking him five years, but he walked from Honduras to the United States, which is about 3,500 miles, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the distance. Uh, He said that the day that he entered the United States was one of his proudest days ever, and he was 15 years old at the time. Today he's married, he has two children, and quite frankly, he's one of the happiest people I've ever met. Um, Our cab ride was too short, quite frankly, and we pulled over on the side of the road and when I paid my fare, I said, please tell me the rest of your story so I could know exactly how it ended. For me, his story was very inspiring, especially with what I was going through at the time. So I was just starting physical therapy after my accident. Um, There was no guarantee that I was going to be able to walk again or to be able to walk again easily without a cast or or crutches or a brace or anything. And to hear this tale of courage uh, from someone who was a young boy that he's able to Overcome his fear of being alone, being away from his family and pursue his dream of getting to the United States was really helpful for me. Um, he found something deep inside of him that allowed him to go after his dreams. And that, that piece of him that found that gave him a great deal of positivity and self-confidence. And that was the message I needed to hear at the time while I was riding in the cab going to physical therapy, that I, too, have something deep inside of me, that I, too, can be positive and self-confident. So without knowing it, Orlando shared a story that helped me in my life. An- another person that I met, and I don't even know this man's name, but it was a beautiful story and a great example of the importance of being heard, Um I was on the bus in San Francisco, and a man who was probably about 90 years old came and boarded the bus, and he ended up sitting next to me. And within a minute of sitting next to me and, I guess, sizing me up, he pulled out his wallet and he showed me a picture of his wife. And his wife had passed away uh, a few years prior. They'd been married for 50, 60 years, a very long time. And on our short bus trip, he told me his story. He told me how he met her, where they lived in the city, about their children, and then ultimately about how she had passed away. Unlike the story of Orlando, um, this man's story didn't have any acts of bravery or needing to overcome, at least the parts that he shared with me, needing to overcome an extremely adverse situation. And yet it was a very beautiful story that reminded me of the power of love and devotion and how two people can work together, whether it's in a partnership or a marriage or in a business or whatever, to accomplish amazing things. My stop got was the first stop. He got off after me. And when we got to my stop, he thanked me profusely for listening to him. He said that he didn't get to talk much about his wife and that he wanted to keep his mem- her memory alive by sharing their story. And he was so grateful that I took the 10 minutes to listen to his story about his wife. Um, and what's interesting is it really takes a few minutes to listen to another's story. Um, and yet it's something that we don't always take the time to do. I read last year... Uh, I can't remember which newspaper it was, but there was an article about an 11-year-old boy in Brooklyn, New York, who spends a couple hours every Sunday at a subway platform. So for those of you who know New York, you know how crazy the subway platforms are. People are running here and there, um, really don't take the time to connect with one another. And yet he has set up a table and two chairs, and he charges $2 for a five-minute emotional advice session. And people line up to talk to him. They'll wait in line to talk to him. On a good day, he makes $50 a day. And then he takes that money and he donates it to needy people. So uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more about inspiring stories and how they can change our lives. Give me a call at 866-451-1451 if you want to share your story. Stay tuned.
6: Do you battle with weight loss? There is a solution. Founder of Weight No More Consulting, Deborah Simons, can help you lose weight safely and effectively through weight loss surgery. I know, I had the surgery two years ago, and I am 135 pounds lighter and medication free. This full service weight loss center caters to your every need as you navigate to a healthy weight following surgery. Servicing all of Canada, Weight No More Consulting takes pride in its compassionate care and guides you through each step before and after surgery. Starting with informational meetings, Weight No More Consulting educates each potential client before they decide to have surgery on the health risks of obesity and the various weight loss surgeries available. After surgery, Weight No More Consulting provides a solid support system with ongoing meetings to ensure continued success. Deborah Simons and Weight No More Consulting are committed to promoting your health and wellness through maintaining a healthy weight for life.
0: Health requires commitment, exercise, a good diet, proper supplementation, and action. So take action today and get your supply of essential liquid nutrients by visiting www.essential-liquids.com. Don't put off your health any longer. Take essential products today and start to measure the difference.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to Living a Courageously Authentic Life. We're coming to you live from BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Jennifer Monaghan, And today we're talking about the power of our stories. And one continuous theme about stories is that our stories help us to connect to one another. Uh, Just before the break, I shared about um, the 11-year-old boy in Brooklyn who puts up a table and a couple chairs at a subway stop and how people line up to talk to him. Uh, The reality is with today's technology and the fast pace of life, at least in the United States, people are more and more disconnected. You know, you can walk down the street and everyone's looking at their phones, and it's rare that we even make eye contact with one another. Um, What I've discovered through my work is that people are starving for connection. They're looking for someone to truly see them and hear them. And once that connection is made and stories are told, neither one of us is the same. And that's really the power of our stories. Um, I was at the bank a couple weeks ago making a, um, a rather complex transaction, so it required me to be helped out by one of the um, the managers of the bank. And this woman was a wonderful woman. Uh, as we were doing the transaction, we started talking, and she asked me what I did. And when I told her that, among other things, I'm an author and I'd written a book, a memoir, she told me that she has been thinking about sharing her story because she thinks it will help others. And, of course, I told her she should. Um, Her story was one that was filled with a lot of personal challenges as well. Um, She ended up leaving her home country of India and coming to the United States and in the process of doing so had to leave her son behind for a while, which was heartbreaking for her. He is now in in the United States with her, but um, there were a few years there where she didn't have her son with her. And she was struggling to make a name and a career for herself in the United States, all the while overcoming a physical assault that had happened uh, when she first got to the United States. As she told me her story, we began to connect. We had a very strong connection through the telling of her story. And when she finished, we both had tears in our eyes. I know that sounds kind of melodramatic, but her story was so touching and so um, heartbreaking, that I was allowed the gift of feeling some of her feelings with her, and um, and then was able to share back my my perspective and, and connect with her more as I shared parts of my life that coincided with with some of the aspects of her story. Um, What she told me was that her story gave her resilience and an inner strength that she didn't even know existed. And what she's looking to do now is take her story and use it to create groups for women who are looking to advance in their career, who are looking for that kind of connection but don't know how. So that's the power of our stories. Again, we can connect with one another, but then we can take our story as this woman is. And as Charlene mentioned earlier, and use our stories to help other people, whether that help is in the form of a simple, I've been there, I can Understand. I may not feel your pain exactly, but I can understand the pain that you're going through. And I know you can get through this all the way to creating a group or a support network for people so that they can, in fact, work through a similar story and come out on the other side victorious, whatever that victory looks like. Stories can also tell us about love. They don't all have to be traumatic examples, right? I have a very dear friend who is from Japan. Uh, She's an older woman, and she was born and lived in Tokyo. She was living in Tokyo when the United States dropped the bombs during World War II. And um, she shared with me how difficult it was after the war. There was a lot of scarcity. And... um, not much food and people were trying to get by as best they could and she ended up getting a job as a television newscaster. Uh, She was one of the first female newscasters in the country, had a fan club and was live on TV, I don't know, four or five, six times a day covering a variety of different topics, whether it's news, visiting dignitaries, cooking, weather, music, art, whatever it was, she covered that. She was also one of the few newscasters that um, actually spoke English. And because of that, she had the opportunity to work with a number of Americans, Japan was still occupied at the time, and meet some famous people. She has pictures of herself with with Bob Hope and Pierre Cardin and all these other people. One day, she was at the U.S. military base uh, doing some research for an upcoming uh, story that she was going to be uh, doing on TV. And she was introduced to an American soldier who eventually became her husband, um, and they lived together in Japan for a while. Uh, Then they made their way over to Italy, Australia, and ultimately back to San Francisco. Um, Soon after they got to San Francisco, he developed Alzheimer's disease, and she cared for him as long as she could in their home, but then at some point it became a little bit too much. He required professional assistance, and she placed him in a nursing care facility. This is the part where the love story comes in because once he was in the nursing care facility, she went there every day without fail. She'd get there mid-morning, and she'd stay until the care facility you know, closed to visitors at night, and she would bring him a homemade lunch and dinner of his favorite foods every day. And she did this for 13 years, whether it was sunny and hot Downpour, if it was cold, she would get on the bus, get on the number one bus, and go to the facility and be with her husband every day. Even when he no longer knew who she was, even when he no longer had any memory of their life together, she was still there. She was bringing him his meals. Um, when he passed away, um, she decided to go to Japan and see, she hadn't been there for 30 years, to see what uh, what it was like, and uh, ended up buying an apartment and moving back there so she could be closer to her family. Um, but she also moved back there because one thing that her husband did remember, even when he had, you know, full-on Alzheimer's, was how much he loved being in Japan. And she felt that by going back to Japan she could, in fact, connect with him more, even though he wasn't here physically. Um, She, too, is considering writing a book, and I've been encouraging her to do that. Um, What I love about her story is um, several different things. First off, she was a woman who broke through so many barriers, right, being a, a newscaster at a time when there weren't many women doing that. And she followed her heart. She married a man from another country who quite frankly, at one point in the history between the United States and Japan was the enemy. And yet she fell in love and followed her heart uh, and then she was very adventurous, moving all over the world. Uh, and she showed the depth of her love for her husband and the care that she gave to him. What's interesting is that when you look at this woman and when you you know look at the woman in the bank or, or Orlando, the cab driver or the old man on the bus. You'd look at them and you'd, you might say to yourself, well, this isn't anybody special. Or this is just another person and they probably had nothing exciting or interesting happen to them. And, uh, you know, they're probably, I don't know, maybe even boring. You might think all of those things about these people. And yet when you stop and you talk to them, you hear their stories and you realize how amazing and incredible each individual person's life is and how their lives can in fact help shape yours so we're going to take a quick break now uh, call in 866-451-1451 if you want to share a story as well we'll be back in a minute stay tuned
0: French Rastafarian baker chef Ugmat is a fourth generation baker and has worked in 11 countries across three continents Born in Mulhouse, France, he began apprenticing in his father's bakery at age 12 and has devoted his life to learning cultures of the world from inside kitchens across the globe. He also teaches traditional French baking by hosting demonstrations and classes, and his passion for baking is reflected in his delicious confections. With a deep respect for discipline and his Rastafarian way of life, Chef Oubmat exemplifies commitment to tradition and culture in a global world. Traveling extensively and combining a myriad of flavors into his recipes, Chef Oubmat brings a unique approach to baking. To read more about the French Rastafarian baker, visit www.frenchchefug.com. That's H-U-G-U-E-S. Bon Appetit and bless up.
4: Joseph A. Moylan is the owner of Ion Health, which specializes in very unique medical devices. Ion Health offers biomats, alkalife, and frequency machines. Biomats are a far-infrared and negative ion-emitting FDA-approved medical device. With many different sizes available, you can place them on your bed, on a massage table, or on a seat in your car. It is an unobtrusive way to health. Alkalife machines are water ionizers that cleanse and raise the alkalinity of your tap water, making high alkaline water.
2: Welcome back. We're coming to you live from Bold, Brave Media Global Network and TuneIn Radio. This is Living a Courageously Authentic Life, and I'm your host, Jennifer Monahan. Today we're talking about the power of our stories, and we have heard some stories today about how um, our stories inspire others, help others overcome difficult times. The The other thing our stories do is they can serve as an example to others of what is possible, uh, sometimes we don't know what is possible until we can see an example of it or hear how somebody else has done something. Um, and that can help us do things better, help us learn right from wrong, and as I mentioned before, help us connect to one another. One of the most, in my mind, um, Heartwarming types of stories are the stories that we hear of after tragedies, natural disasters, and other difficult times, when we hear of people who have gone out of their way to help others. Um, Fred Rogers, who is also known as Mr. Rogers, who used to have a TV show years ago um, targeting small children, often told the story of how when he was a young child, he was scared by some of the things he was seeing on the news channels on on television. And his mother, to comfort him, replied, always look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping when there are times of difficulty. And he began doing that, and he saw that the words of his mother were in fact true, and Personally, and I don't know this to be a fact, but I would imagine as he saw other people helping, it built within him a desire to help others and probably led him down the path that he went through for his career. Um, I was living in Fairfield County, Connecticut, right outside of New York uh, when the September 11th attacks occurred. And with the emotional pain that was felt all over the country and the world, I um, And I don't want to say my pain was any worse or less than anybody else's. But being so close to where one of the attacks were, um, it really hit home every day, uh, the loss that our country had with those attacks. And this idea of looking for the helpers was really comforting for me, uh, especially comforting. Uh, They were all over the place. There were firefighters, police officers, the search dogs who risked, and in some cases, did lose their lives to help everybody else. Um, But there was more than that. There were everyday people who were posting pictures and creating networks uh, to help find loved ones immediately after the the towers collapsed. There were people that were working to heal um, and doing so in such a way that they could help others heal as well. At the time, I was living in uh, Newtown, Connecticut, and I remember driving every day as I would go office by a group of seven white birch trees. Um, for those who haven't seen white birch, their bark is white. Uh, it was used uh, by Native Americans uh, to, to write on and, and used uh, for other purposes as well. But it's a beautiful tree. And one person in my community had lost seven friends in the attack and they went to the owner of the land where these seven trees were and asked permission to create a memorial for the seven friends using the seven trees and the owner said yes and this person painted a beautiful picture that kind of crossed over the seven trees so there were some gaps in between where you could see nature but every day as I drove by and saw first the creation of this picture and then the completion of it it reminded me that we all can heal from this. So that picture was a a healing thing for me. Um, And obviously, you know, this happens all over the world. Um, I read online that after a tragedy such as a natural disaster or an attack, blood donations go up significantly. Uh, People want to help, so they go and they they donate blood. In fact, uh, the number of first-time blood donors went up uh, higher than it had ever gone uh, after the Orlando nightclub shooting, and after the Las Vegas shootings that happened a few months ago, there were so many donors that um, the Red Cross and other other organizations recommended that people come back later, in a month or two later, um, because blood has a, a fairly short uh, shelf life, and that way there would be continuing supply of blood for victims. Um, There are other examples as well, the people in Australia who started and followed through with a a Twitter campaign that said, I'll ride with you when Muslims didn't feel safe following a terrorist attack. And then any time that, you know, there is a hurricane or something that people get together, say, to rescue animals, uh, more heartwarming stories that allow you to see the goodness in people, the goodness in our society. And the fact that even when we don't feel connected, um, there are times when we can all come together and the power of us coming together and doing something and creating a story that can help others is uh, indescribable. Of course, there are also stories of people who are working to help others or to right a wrong. And some of these stories are very public and well-known. So for example, the story of Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat on a bus, which became a symbolic start um, for the black rights uh, movement back in the 1960s. But many of these stories are kind of quiet and behind the scenes. And you may not even know the story that someone is living. And yet their life, is making a difference going forward. And I'm gonna call on my mom and share a story of my mom because I think she's a great example of that. She, like a a growing number of women in the mid-1970s, was a divorced mother with um, three children. Uh, Divorce was not very common then. Uh, In fact, my brother and I were the only one at our school who came from a divorced household um, in our our little community. we were the only ones, and she faced challenges every day that, quite frankly, women today or or single fathers today don't face as a single parent uh, household. For example, uh, she wanted to take us kids to Disney. Disney World for vacation. And she saw a special in the paper. This was years ago. There was no no online uh, searching, but there was a special in the paper that said a family of four could go to Disney World for a certain price, and it was within her budget. So she went to the travel agent. She said, "I'm a family of four. It's me and my three children, you know, as they were talking about the airline and the tickets and everything. And the travel agent told her that she was not uh, eligible for the promotion because the family of four had to include a mother and a father. Um, so she actually fought, fought her, her case with the travel agent and was ultimately able to get the tickets. But it's little things like that that happen every day. These little stories that people have that start to change people's perceptions and the world around us. We are going to take another quick break. Um, When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about inspirational stories and um, how to share them. If you have a question or a story you want to share, give us a call at 866-451-1451. We'll be right back.
5: Jobs Annex is a former employment search firm. We've evaluated many thousands of resumes and we understand what employers want and what job applicants need to be successful in their interviews. At Jobs Annex, we provide you with the tools to tell your story for free. Our resources at jobsannex.com will help each applicant construct an award winning resume, an eye catching cover letter, and key interview questions to ask in various types of interviews. Best of all, it's free. JobsAnnex.com. That's J O B S A N N E X.com.
2: Welcome back. We're coming to you live from Bold, Brave Media Global Network and TuneIn Radio. This is Living a Courageously Authentic Life, and I'm your host, Jennifer Monahan. And today we're talking about the power of our stories. And over the course of this past almost hour, we've we've heard inspiring stories, how stories can help us heal, connect with others, help others see where possibilities are. But one thing we haven't talked about is the, the idea of sharing our stories and why people may hold back from sharing their stories or what may prevent them from sharing their stories. The reality is the world needs our stories. We need to hear of others' accomplishments. We need to hear how they've overcome a challenge. We need to have that connection so that we can increase our faith in ourselves and in humanity through the sharing of our stories. But what I've found when I talk to people um, is that they may not share their story because they're worried uh, or afraid that they would not be supported and not be understood. Um, It takes a lot of vulnerability to share your story. You have to trust that the other person is willing and able to listen and to empathize with you. You have to trust that um, there will be no judgment as we share our story. Um, Charlene's story earlier in the show is one that was very traumatic and very painful for her. And it would be very easy for somebody to shut down her story either because they don't want to hear about the pain or they don't believe, uh, the pain that she went through with her experience. So this vulnerability, um, it's a risk that we have to take when we share our stories. Um, you know, there's also the fear of being ridiculed. Um, or even sharing our perspective of our life events and potentially hurting another person who's a player in the story. Um, as I mentioned before, the reality is we each have our own perspective of an event. And my perspective might be different from the perspective of somebody who was sitting right next to me and had the exact same experience. Um, Think about when you go to a movie, you you may go to a movie with a friend, and afterwards you're talking about the movie, and you might have thought the movie was great, and um, you'd go see it again, and the, the person next to you thought it was horrible, or maybe it brought up some bad feelings or bad memories for them, and they have no desire to see it again, so... Even when we're telling a story and there's another player in the story, the more we can share our story from our perspective, from what's in our heart, from what we feel, from what we experienced, and then ultimately what we did, you know, as a result of an experience uh, that brings us to the gift of the story, Um, we can do that without actually um, injuring or, or, or hurting another person's feeling. And then finally, we may be afraid that our story is not worth listening to, that it's boring or meaningless. And, and I would say to all of this that that's not true. Um, and if you want to start sharing your story, if you're feeling ridiculed or, or afraid of being ridiculed and, and afraid of not being listened to, I would suggest that you start small. Share your story with a trusted friend or maybe a family member who you know will listen to you. Ask them to listen with an open heart and even set the ground rules. You know, I don't want you to ask any questions. I just need to share this or I want to hear your perspective but not until the end. Um, Whatever it is uh, that helps you feel comfortable, begin sharing your story. Knowing that by doing so, you're changing both you and the person who's listening. And so I'm challenging all of us to share our stories and listen to others' stories with an open heart and without judgment uh, when they share theirs with you. Again, it's only through the sharing of our stories that we truly understand and connect with one another. Uh, I'd like to wrap up um, with a little bit more about my story. As I mentioned, I'm in Guatemala, and I'll be here for the next few weeks. You can visit my website at spiritevolution.co to learn more about my story. Um, I, I keep a weekly blog there. And my book, This Trip Will Change Your Life, A Shaman's Story of Spirit Evolution, really goes into details about how I became a shaman and the gift that I discovered from a really bad accident. Feel free to email me any questions you'd like to have me answer on air. My email is admin at spiritevolution.co. Thanks for listening and join me again next week where we'll continue to explore courageously authentic living. I hope you all have a great week.
1: This has been Living a Courageously Authentic Life with host Jennifer Monahan. Listen each week as Jennifer helps you get down to the core of who you are, discover and connect to your inner spark, and bring that forward consistently and consciously in your day to day life. Here on Jennifer Monahan's Living a Courageously Authentic Life.